I think for us, it's recognizing that we have a diverse population. We serve a diverse community in the company and, and being empathetic to it. And then, you know, really trying to engage with folks that can help us come up with ideas, policies, procedures, and ways that we can shine light on certain subjects. Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it. Our show aims to inspire you as you build a Bragworthy culture of your own. Culture building is philosophical and practical, and you'll find both discussed here. Grab a pen and a notebook. We're about to drop some knowledge. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. This is your host, Jordan Peace. Today, we're fortunate to sit down with Chris Sullins, the CEO of Central Reach. Uh, so Chris, excited to have you here, excited to hear more about how you built the company, how you built the culture especially, and, and just thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks, Jordan. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. If you don't know Central Reach, they provide a complete end-to-end software and services platform that helps children and adults diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder and related IDDs and those that serve them unlock their potential, achieve better outcomes, and live more independent lives. So that's straight off the website. That's the company line. But Chris, we'd love to hear from you personally, where does the mission come from, the vision of this company? How long exactly have you been a part of it? I'd just, just love to hear a little bit of the backstory, if you don't mind sharing. Sure. Yeah. So the company was founded in 2012 by a woman named Charlotte Fudge. And so she was a board certified behavior analyst, so BCBA. And so she built, she was working with individuals with autism and built a fairly large organization, a provider practice who were working with those individuals. And so typical, and you probably hear this a lot with software companies and kind of founding, especially in vertical markets, as she looked at the solutions that were out there and available, it just didn't suit the needs of her organization at the scale that they had and the specificity of the workflow and the things that needed to be done, both from a provider practice management kind of perspective, as well as from a clinical kind of data collection, analytics, and kind of really trying to drive better outcomes for those that she's working with. So she built her company. She had this kind of idea, vision that if I could do something on the software side, here's what I would do to kind of make it better for me. And I think others would find value in it. And so that was the origin of the idea. She ultimately sold her practice and there's still a customer of Central Reach today and went off and decided to take this idea that she had around software and build it into an actual product and see what she could do with it. So that was kind of how it started. So it was a practitioner who saw a need and a bunch of pain points and, and thought I could do this better than what's out there. And to her credit, she built a phenomenal kind of product. So really strong product market fit. 
And not only, you know, did it work for her prior organization, as other organizations kind of saw what she was building and what she was doing, and as she took their input to make it better, that was really the crux of kind of how she got the momentum and, and started building this company. So that was kind of the origin. Better mousetrap for kind of a very specific kind of vertical market need that she was uniquely kind of positioned to be able to to kind of envision and then and then bring to life. So in 2018, she had scaled the organization. It was about 500 customers and uh, built a very nice software as a service business. And so as she was thinking about where to go next, she felt like for the company to kind of take itself to the next level, she needed kind of different funding mechanism, different maybe leadership or skill set. And so she partnered with venture capital kind of growth equity firm called Insight Partners, who took made a significant investment in the company. And I had met actually the, the lead partner on this particular deal in my last company. So I, I was with a company called WorkWave, the CEO for almost 11 years, which was a software as a service business in the field service and the last mile logistics space. And so we grew that business about 10x between 2008 and 2018. When I left, we sold it to a strategic kind of buyer called IFS. And I was lucky enough as I was kind of thinking about what was next for me to kind of connect back up with the Insight Partners folks. They introduced me to Charlotte. That was kind of how I got here. So they made their investment in 2018 at the end of the first quarter. And I joined in the middle of that year and I've been here ever since. That's awesome. That's all, Yeah, I appreciate the background. What's that like? I mean, it sounds like you've done this, not exactly this, but more than once where a company is established, it's getting to a scale where you very uh, humbly alluded to this, but you need different skill sets, different types of leadership, different. It's just a different way of going about leading an organization. What is that like for you coming in and being that new guy and also the head of the company that at some scale already and then kind of, hey, go, right? Take it, 10 exit. Like, what does that feel like a personal standpoint, cultural standpoint, like your interactions with the people when there's all of a sudden this new CEO? Is that like, what is that like? That's a good question. <laughs> it's both exciting, I would say exhilarating because I mean, the reason that I joined was because I saw the vision of what the company had done, but where it could go. And that's what got me excited. And so I think that's where I spend a lot of my time is kind of talking about where where do we want to go. Similar with WorkWave, my prior company I took over from the founder. In that company, it was about 30 employees. When I took over, this one was around 80. So it was larger. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I think one of the reasons that I've been successful and part of it is it's a great company. It's great people. There's like a whole bunch of positives behind it. So it certainly is not, not unique to me, I would say. But I do have a kind of strong, like real appreciation for what has been done before I got here. And I've seen and I've actually hired some folks and then exited those folks where the world starts like when they step into the door, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, I'm here. 
everything you guys did, we're going to take this to the next level. And that means a whole bunch of things that you don't even know about and appreciate what you've done. But like, let me show you the path to the future and all the things that you've done wrong up to this point, because you're not doing the things that we need to do. And I think there are some people that truly kind of feel that way. Like, I know where we're going, you don't, and I'm going to like lead you to the promised land. For me, I think one of the things I was most proud of at WorkWave and very proud of here is that a lot of the folks that were early in the journey before I got here are still on the journey and still contributing. And we didn't have like a mass exodus of employees and there wasn't a huge kind of turnover because all of a sudden things changed. And and I think that's what makes companies successful is being able to kind of have an eye towards where you want to go what you need to do to get there, but not lose the sight of the fact that the company was extremely successful when I got there. And it was successful for a reason. (laughs) The way they treated customers, the way they treated their employees, the culture that they had, frankly, uh, coming in. And so to be able to leverage that, understand it. So a lot of what I did was not so much like, hey, here's what we're going to do. And starting tomorrow, we're going to like have a completely different sales process and even though I had an idea of what I wanted to do. But it was really much more of me spending time in the office, me spending time one-on-one with individuals that were there, spending time in group to understand, like, what are you doing today? (laughs) Why are you doing it that way? Why has it been successful? What do you think you should do differently? And then be able to kind of weave that into the go-forward narrative, which is becomes less about well, I'm going to take you in this other direction that you don't know about. A lot of it is uh, more in here's the direction you know you want to go. Here are some things I've learned from the past. Here's some ways that we want to change and we need to kind of do it together. So it takes patience. You have to have some level of, I think, humility to not, there's a big ego kind of thing of like, well, people, if they don't think I know all the answers, they're not going to follow me where I need to go. And I think the, the flip side is is really more accurate as people appreciate you appreciating what they've done and are more likely to follow you if you're willing to kind of learn and kind of bring them along with you. I love it. That's great. I mean, it's such a dangerous moment, you stepping in yeah. like that. It's, you know, like it could have gone very poorly. And, you know, that old adage that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Like that, it's basically what you just described. You sat and you listened and took a learner stance right first and then held back some of this knowledge and wisdom and experience until you got all the context. And that, that's a beautiful thing. And you're right, it takes humility to do that. And I think you know, the more I interview people, the more I do this podcast, the more that's the trait that keeps jumping out at me, that people want to follow humility And it's a little bit counterintuitive to our own pride and our own sort of insecurities that we want to present like we know everything. And it actually turns people off. Yeah, it's it's fascinating what leadership actually looks like when you dissect it. It's not this sort of pompous thing. It's very much kind of the chief servant of the company. That's really cool. I do think that varies by industry and type, right? I think there are some management consulting, maybe investment, like, Some of those, there's a little bit, you can lean more that way. Certainly when you're coming into 
especially in healthcare. But I saw the same thing in, in field service. We, you know, our largest customer segment was pest control companies, and we were the leading provider of software for them. But here, it's the people who are in the business. They chose to come here because they're trying to serve customers and serve a community. And so, certainly, having somebody come in not have a viewpoint that's similar to that would be very dangerous. And and to your point, you know, you do see a lot of times where a transition like this happens and it doesn't go. Right, right. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, to your point, the whole company came out of a place of empathy, out of a place of wanting to see folks be successful, have more independence in their lives and thrive. I mean, it's a very heartfelt, empathetic place to even start a company. So that, that makes a ton of sense. So since you've come on, I think you mentioned there were 80, if I got the number right, employees. So where are you guys at now to employee count? So I'm not exactly sure <laughs> where we are, but we are because we've continued to hire um, or bringing people on at a fairly high clip, but we're right around 380 employees. Yeah. So we've added about 300 employees wow. since the middle of yeah, 2018. So. Yeah. So despite the fact that it sounds like you've retained so many since you came, which is wonderful. I think it's a good measure of mm -hmm. success of that transition, but still you've added 300, right? At least yeah. right to that number. So on top of that, you've also had to navigate a pandemic and a lot of social unrest and just, just a lot of change in our country and in the world past five, six years. I guess I'd just love to hear about how you've navigated some of these challenges, how important it was that you built trust before some of these challenges came about, the pandemic in particular, and then, you know, just anything unique to you guys in terms of what you went through and how you solved some of the problems that you encountered. Anything you'd like to share on that front is always interesting. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, there's a lot, lot to that. There's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, I, gave you, I gave you options there, I think. Yeah, that's right. No, I mean, I think, yeah. So if you just take all the kind of political, social, pandemic related, just growing as fast as we've grown, you know, adding as many people as we have and being able to kind of do so while maintaining and strengthening culture. And we're not perfect by any means. So as much as we talk about, you know, positive culture, I like the way that we do things. I love the team and we're lucky to have like really strong folks, but there are tons of opportunities for us to improve. And we do a lot of positive stuff and we've got lots more to do as we continue to grow. But if you look at it just in terms of adding sheer employee count, one of the things that I kind of truly learned and felt strongly about was the key to kind of, or one of the big keys to building a culture is the hiring process and making sure you get the right people on the bus. Because I use this all the time internally, but you can hire people that look at the world one way then show them a bunch of platitudes on a wall and say, well, now that you're here, like you have to act this way. Right. It's like, it just doesn't work that way. And so the hiring process is one that I'm heavily involved in. In fact, up until most recently, uh, I still interview almost everyone that comes in, but I was interviewing everybody that came in as part of that process, um, really from a 
fit standpoint, but it also, it sends a message both internally as well as externally. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who are like, I've been in my company for X number of years. I've never actually even talked to the CEO. <laughs> and here I am talking to you and asking you questions. But, and so I think that in and of itself, I think sends the right message. And internally, it sends a message that this hiring is important because I think a lot of times company leaders, managers, get bogged down in their task of day to day. And it's like, oh, this interview gets in the way. And like, I know I need somebody like, I'll just let my folks do it and see what happens. And I think the byproduct of that is you get a lot of false starts, a lot of early churn, a lot of the wrong folks on the bus, and it just becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in the negative sense. And so so not that I'm perfect at interviewing or anything like that, but I think we look at the technical kind of component, regardless of what job it is, the fit component, which is my main reason for interviewing. And then we use a behavioral kind of test called Caliper to kind of gut check. So it's not like a pass or fail, obviously, but it's a good kind of gut check to kind of see this one didn't feel right. Well, maybe that comes out in the Caliper or... I really love this person. And then to get the validation that, yes, they think about the world the same way, it really is a positive. So I think that's a key component. I think obviously on the flip side, the way that you kind of handle folks that are not living the culture and whether you are able to get them back on track or exit them from the business, those things also, I think, yeah. play, play a huge role. So, and that started. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah, sure. Chris, sorry to interrupt you. You just, you're on a topic that I really enjoy. So you've got your values, right? You've got like all of your long list of gut checks, but then you personally are in an interview with this person, right? And you're kind of, to use a more Gen Z like vibe check, right? Like it's like, this is the moment to like, is this the right, like everything else checks out, but is this the right vibe? I'm curious, both sides of the coin, one, what is the one thing, you know, if you, you could boil it down to one thing that you're looking for, that if they exhibit this thing, you're like, oh, I want that person in my organization. And then on the flip side, what is the one thing that you kind of observe in someone that's already in the door that you're like, that's poisonous. Like, we got to get, we got to move this person along. Yeah, it's a good question. I think on the, on the interview side, I would say humility and curiosity kind of. So I think it, it's, uh, I won't say it's a red flag because I understand like people, I mean, it, it's a little challenging because people get nervous. And so I recognize that, right? And even though I don't feel like my interview style is not to make people nervous and I try to make it almost maybe too much the other way where, you know, I want them to be comfortable. But for example, somebody, when I get to, do you have any questions for me? And they're like, nope, I'm good. Or yeah, I asked the other person all my questions. So I don't really have another one. You know, that to me is like definitely a yellow, like <laughs> you don't even want to like, you know, Nothing, this is yeah. <laughs> one question. So, and that could signal again, could be nervousness. And so that's why I say it's not a red flag because there are sometimes right. like if they've gone through all the other interviews and even as they've answered questions and there's a lot of kind of good engagement when we're talking, I, I can kind of look past it. But the other thing it could signal is just, they're not really that excited about joining the company and this is just the job. So, and we've actually guy that I was looking at for a pretty critical role um, who was highly recommended early on and super qualified, like would have knocked the cover off the ball 
But all his questions were about him, his role, his future. And he had really no questions around like where we were going as a company or so we actually passed on him and he was shocked. Like, because he was thought he had all the Tims were lined up in his direction. And I'm like, you just don't have right. passion to kind of do what, what we do and to want to be here and help us grow it. And so that's where I kind of bundled the curiosity, humility. It was for him, I was very like arrogant and kind of like, hey, you're lucky to have me. So just tell me why I should join you. And it is a two way street. But I do, I think it's important that people want to be here because there's a lot of other choices they can make. On the flip side, I think, you know, I guess there's a, two things. So one is kind of intellectual honesty. So people who never can like take responsibility for a mistake, <laughs> it's just, a, it's bad. Like we all make mistakes. And when you grow a company like this, if you're not making a mistake, then you're not really kind of trying to push the ball forward because there's just too many opportunities to do that. So I don't want to make mistakes. I don't want us to like... But I think it's reality. And I think what kind of the lack of intellectual honesty leads to is surprises, which drives me crazy, right? So it's like, everything's great. Everything's great. Everything's great. Oh, no, this is a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Explosion. And and it's going to be three months before we get it back on track. And by the way, it wasn't my fault. Here's this person's fault, that person's fault. They didn't do the, you know, that's one the second one is like the people who manage up really well and treat their team terribly and their peers. And so that one's somewhat hard to kind of uncover in an interview, but where we see it kind of manifest itself, that's a one where it's just, we can't kind of keep you around because it, that's what damages the culture is the disconnect between what gets said by me and the other leaders to the day-to-day managers, the one-on-ones, all those things. And so when somebody is not kind of helping to kind of facilitate and make the culture strong through all those interactions, I think that's where people start to feel like, well, this is BS, basically. Like you say this, and but the day-to-day, you let these managers just run roughshod on us and nobody really cares. And so that has to be rooted out. And it's hard to do because those are the same people that are always like pumping you up and telling you, oh, you're the best like leader I've ever met. And I've learned so much from you. And then turn around and they're abusing everyone else kind of behind that scene. So that's kind of good answer. But for me, those are the that's a fantastic. I appreciate you going to that <laughs> level with, with me on a podcast. You know, I realize it's a tough question to get real personal about like what irks you and what is the yellow and the red flag. And the theme I heard in all of that is very much a like protecting your people mentality. Right. Like really, because like, for example, if you interview a person, they're a little arrogant, but they have all the skill sets in the world. They actually would solve a lot of problems for you initially because they're going to go get a job done you want done. But you protected everyone else from having this kind of passionless person come in and like have all the skills, but not really add to the culture at all. If anything, probably take away. Right. So. In all of those cases, it's almost you're kind of this guardian. Just like, no, mm-mm, can't have this person in. And we got to get this person rooted out to protect everyone else and to really serve everyone else. So I loved hearing that theme. You never really explicitly said that, but that was the theme I was hearing throughout. A couple more things I'd want to cover. And believe it or not, we're like 22 <laughs> or three minutes in already. It flies every time we do this. 
But I'd love to hear one thing I took note of is that, and I know you don't want to make it about you, so it's more about the company, but you were recently recognized as an influencer 2022 for diversity, equity, and inclusion. I would love to touch on kind of the company's approach and thoughts and that we talked about empathy and how important that is. I'd just love to hear you talk a little bit about that recently, what's been developing there in terms of just sort of your own learnings and also how the company's developed in that area. And then I think an obvious one we should touch on is just this whole remote work and are we in an office? Are we a hybrid? Where are we headed? I just love to get as many opinions on that as I can because it seems like a fairly undecided thing in the culture as a whole. So, Yeah, so I feel like we're at the very early innings. So I think it's, I appreciate the recognition for sure. But I think there's just a lot as a company that we can, should, need to continue to do. And good or bad, I feel like one of the keys around managing and appreciating diversity and trying to increase equity and inclusion and those things goes back to discussion that we had originally. It's like, if you care about people in general, it becomes a bit of a byproduct to some degree. There are certainly things that you want to focus on, but if you want to be specifically kind of from an organizational standpoint, have processes or different policies or, or things in place that help to support and promote it. I think if you, from my perspective, if I'm hiring leaders and thankfully the folks that we have on my team all have a strong appreciation for this. And I think as an organization, because of the community we serve, which happen to be very diverse in terms of their viewpoints and their perspectives, and we have a number of behavior analysts, we're probably up to 50 or so behavior analysts who've spent their lives kind of working with individuals on the spectrum. There's a lot of checks and balances just naturally within our organization and a lot of mm -hmm. pushing to say, hey, like we need to do better. So I won't certainly take credit to say I'm like taking the hill and everybody else has to learn from me. I think it, it really is. It's something that as an organization, thankfully, we feel strong about it as a leadership team. And so as a result, it, it becomes, there's a lot of things that bubble up to me and I can react to as opposed to me saying, well, I got to solve, what are we going to do in this particular case? Over half of our employee base and almost half of the team are female. And so just going back to some specific things, which I don't uh, certainly don't want to get into the politics of it, but just more recently recognizing the challenges that came with the uh, Roe v. Wade decision for women and being kind of, again, just not ignoring it and not playing it down or trying to just say it's too sticky, but just saying, hey, we'll be there for you and we're going to work to improve. We already have and spent a lot of time on the reproductive kind of side of our benefit program and trying to, again, just take a more holistic view, just to make sure that we're covering kind of all those bases. Same when it came to Juneteenth and many of the issues that several years ago that were uh, coming up. And so I think for us, it's recognizing that we have a diverse population. We serve a diverse community in the company and, and being empathetic to it. And then, you know, really trying to engage with folks that can help us come up with ideas, policies, procedures, and ways that we can shine light on certain subjects, even if it's not the easiest one to talk about. The other thing we've done is we started a series that we call CR Talks 
and we spend time looking for speakers to come talk to our company about topics, whether it's like we had a woman who uh, was on the spectrum, who was a BCBA, who was Black, <laughs> and she came in and talked about kind of her story, the challenges she had, again, just to kind of bring that into the company and give us, we do some things around health and wellness and trying to understand and help our employee population through this kind of work from home and some of the challenges there. So I don't know if it's a good answer. There's no kind of, hey, do this process and look at this table and this analytics. Uh, we certainly have that as well. But to me, I think what I see from the feedback that we get from employees is just the fact that there's recognition, there's empathy, and that we're working, always working to improve is what they appreciate most. And that also helps reinforce the culture, frankly. Yeah, I, mean, I think people want to feel seen and heard and have an opportunity. And if they've got leadership that is willing to be a learner, you know, or learners, I should say, around your whole leadership team, that's, uh, I don't know, I want to get a percentage on it, but that's a huge percentage of sort of the challenge. If you can get that right and learn and progress, then, but it's a constantly evolving thing. It's not something you just solve. <laughs> the end, we're done, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And it's also not something you outsource to HR, which I think sometimes companies do, right? Those are the people problem like HR. Oh, yeah. I got like, that, I, right? Yeah. I got, yeah. I got important things to do over here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that that also is one of the problems with the way a lot of organizations maybe handle it. I think so too. Yeah. I think from a DEI standpoint and many, many standpoints, it's like, oh, it's people related? Kick it to HR. Wash your hands of it. It's just completely the wrong approach. And you and I both know how important it is to focus on the people first. That actually solves an enormous amount of problems that never even come up when your focus is on your people first instead of the bottom line. I could talk about this a long time. <laughs> I've learned a lot. I've taken some good notes. I hope my, I hope the listeners have taken some good notes around what's important to a CEO when they're interviewing you. <laughs> what's the futility of flattery without backing that up with genuine care for your peers and, and those that work for you. And I took some good notes here. So I, I really appreciate it. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long, Chris. Yeah. Any, any final advice that you might give just really quickly to listeners around how to navigate culture at scale, you know, how this whole like going from 80 people to 380, like any advice you'd give around just how to not severely mess that up? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I would say two things. One, I feel like culture should be a living, breathing organism and evolve, right? So there's no like, going back to your comment before around DI, it's like, you're never done. And culture is never like a thing. It's you'll have a culture one way or another, whether you want one or not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can either try to drive it, try to affect it in a positive way, or you can just let it be what it is. And uh, because culture is just basically the aggregation of all the people you have and how they look at the world and how they interact with each other. So, so obviously I choose to try to drive it in a particular way. And so does, does our team. So I think that's one. It's just, it's something you need to nurture, feed, appreciate, and kind of allow to kind of move where it needs to go, especially when you're adding so many people. And then the second thing is really that I think one of the biggest challenges for culture is that line level manager and that mid-level mid, mid -level manager level, because that's where 
typically the breakdown occurs is there's so much focus on task. And again, not people trying to do something incorrect, but they're just day to day, head down. We got to get this done. Like, I know we said that we're going to have no Zoom time and these things, but I got to get this done because I got to report to. And so I think the worst part is if you, it'd be almost better if the executive leadership didn't care as much because then again, there's some consistency. But if you've got kind of this, hey, here's what we want. We care about culture. We care about you. And then at the task level, it's all about the task and not about the people. You set up the opportunity for big disconnect and, and kind of looking like you're talking out of two sides of your mouth. And so, so when we, in terms of investment, training, and hiring, that level really needs to be kind of strong. And typically, it's the level where somebody's stepping up into a new manager role or whatever. And so they don't really know what they need to know. So a lot of, I think, focus and time and attention needs to be placed there because as you scale the organization, one, you can't scale if they're not strong, but two, you certainly can't scale and continue to kind of drive the culture in the right way if you're getting mixed messages throughout each of the different areas of the organization. That's awesome. That's great advice. That's advice that I currently need. Uh, we're at like 65 people raising money, you know, that are kind of right at that inflection point. So perfect for me, if no one else who's listening, but I have a feeling it's useful for many. Chris, once again, I said thank you, and then I asked you another question. So I'm going to say a <laughs> final thank you. I really appreciate your time, and I'll let you go. But really appreciate you being here today. Great. Thanks, Jordan. All right. Talk to you. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next week on Bragworthy Culture. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us.